0: Well, good evening, L.C.M. Good evening. Tonight we will be covering Acts 15, verse 36, through the end of chapter 16. Oh, yeah. So get ready. Wow. I'm pleased yeah. to report to you that even as we speak, this evening our brothers at the Arising Church are advancing the kingdom of God yeah, at every turn. Hallelujah. They are elevating a host of men into sonship and ultimately into equal brothers. Amen. My father, Pastor Matthew, and... Elder Baj was her holy laboring jointly with them to this holy endeavor. On, Saints, we truly live in times that look more and more like the example that we see in the book of Acts, as our Father has progressively eliminated Diacrino from our midst, Amen. and has empowered us to collectively perform the deeds and teachings of Jesus as the people of ministry. Yeah, we are one church united under Messiah Jesus, and this becomes all the more powerful when you consider that we are spread out in many different areas of the world, speak different languages, and possess diverse national backgrounds. I'd like to refresh your memory of Acts nine thirty one. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Thanks. together, we've already learned that the book of Acts could be called the actions of Jesus through his body on earth as empowered by his spirit. This was clearly displayed in last week's session as we saw the unified church working together to solve difficult problems and come to God-ordained solutions that bear the witness of both the spirit of Jesus and the written word which Jesus embodies.
1: Tonight you will see that new harvesters are added to the expanding kingdom of God and others will begin a process that will result in the restoration and redemption of their original God-ordained purpose. Additionally, the sovereignty of God in the affairs of men who love him and are called according to his purpose will shine brightly this evening. They will shine brightly against the backdrop of human frailty and our own lack of understanding. Jesus will once again prove to be the superstar of the book of Acts and not any man or even group of men, as you will clearly see that it is his spirit that empowers his people to ultimately arrive at his will. In fact, the events of our text tonight likely helped to form Paul's letter, his latter statement to the church in Rome. This is Romans 8, Let's go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. who who have been called according to his purpose. So clearly, Paul was keenly aware that it was, in fact, Adonai who had worked in all things to bring about the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth.
2: As we prepare to engage with our text this evening, we're going to review a few of the events that led up to this point. Please take note of three themes in this review. The first one. Jerusalem has never ceased to be the foundation of the unified church because it is indeed the center of Adonai's plan for all of mankind. In fact, you will see that the teaching and decisions of Jerusalem will only expand in tonight's chapter. They don't degrade in any way. Number two. The expansion of the kingdom of God is always marked by men willingly sacrificing themselves in one form or another after the manner of Jesus himself. The sovereignty of God is then displayed as at work in the most terrible and unjust of situations. And number three, the reception of the gospel message has always been marked by actions that are the marks of true repentance and belief. So in light of those three, let's jump into our progress report slides tonight. Come on, we're making progress, church.
3: Progress report number one from Acts 2.45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and (laughs) distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Amen. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, <laughs> those who were being saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And beautiful. Ooh, you will remember that this progress report was precipitated by the 12 fire validated Jewish apostles boldly standing up during the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost yeah. in the temple complex or within its vicinity to proclaim a message of repentance and redemption found in Jesus as the Messiah. This event sparked growing hostility in the existing corrupt leadership of their day and would eventually lead to the mistreatment of the apostles at the hand of the high priest and the Sanhedrin. In chapters four and five, this mistreatment came in the form of an imprisonment and a beating which the apostles joyfully accepted, giving praise to God (coughs) as having been counted worthy to suffer for the name. Additionally, you should take note of the response of the people who received this bold and life-giving message. It was to sacrificially begin providing for the community at the expense of their own possessions and belongings. Mm -hmm. This is because genuine repentance and belief is always marked by sacrificial action. Let's move to our second progress report. All right, progress
4: report number two, Acts 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to oh, the faith. Oh, yeah. Amen. The apostles, fresh off the Acts 5 battle royale with the corrupt leadership of their day, began to settle an issue that had arisen between the believing Grecian Jews. And the believing Hebraic Jews. The result was that the community appointed seven men to attend the most vulnerable members of the community. Two of which were Stephen and Philip. Stephen would go on in chapters 6 and 7 to perform miracles and boldly declare the truth about Messiah to his brother Israelites. In the sovereignty of Adonai, this event would actually serve to propel the expansion of the kingdom of God as men in Jerusalem began to spread out into other areas, bringing with them deeds and teachings of Jesus that they had received while they were in Jerusalem. The events of chapter 8 and 9 are directly attributable to the willing sacrifice of Stephen as the sovereign hand of God caused salvation to spread to subgroups of Jews and eventually even Gentiles. (laughs) Let's move to our third progress report.
0: So, progress report number three. Guess what? We've come back to yeah. Acts 9:31. Come on. So, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Once again, the one unified church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria is directly attributable to the willing sacrifice of Stephen. Through these terrible And unjust events, the sovereign leading of Jesus' spirit caused Paul to experience his transformation and Peter to expand the kingdom in new regions, performing miracles on the same level as the prophets of old. Later in chapter 11 of Luke's accounting of these events, we find out that in connection with the death of Stephen, men who had received the deeds and teachings of Jesus in Jerusalem were sown into new fields. This produced the expansion of the kingdom of God in ever further diaspora Jewish communities, and some of them even included Greekish people. As we prepare to review our fourth progress report, it's worth taking a moment to contemplate your view of how ministry expands. Uh The historical record of Acts teaches us that the greatest expansions were always precipitated by personal sacrifice, and the circumstances never appeared to be ideal. Yeah. The leading of Yahweh is often not an instruction manual given from heaven. Rather, is often a moving through unjust or confusing circumstances that produce life in his sovereignty yeah. when his people respond rightly to it. Amen. So with that in mind, let's get ready for our fourth progress report as Justin takes us through. Acts 12.24 <laughs> But the word of God increased
1: and multiplied. Hallelujah. We do not intend to belabor the point any more than Luke does in his accounting of the expansion of the kingdom of God, but you should know that the backdrop of this progress report is worldwide famine, the death of the foundational apostle James, the imprisonment of Peter, and his scheduled execution. Pretty grim. To summarize our progress reports, as we prepare to jump in the text, we are going to read Romans eight again. Let's do it. Romans eight twenty-eight. And we know that in all things, things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Adonai is able to lead you through a variety of means and through a variety of circumstances. You will make mistakes and at times fall flat on your face. Christian, that too will serve to advance the expansion of the kingdom of God in your life. If you get back up and cheerfully yeah, yeah. look for his leading oh, yeah. within those Come circumstances. On, Come on, church. Yeah. So with that said, I'm going to ask our brother Caleb to pray for us. We're going to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the scriptures tonight because we're going to receive a Holy Ghost manual for expansion for the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you for who you are, Lord, and what you're doing
5: in this body.
1: Lord, make us
6: one. Lord,
5: make us life.
1: To bring you the spoils
2: of yes, more. Lord. Lord, bring you more treasure to put into your storehouse,
7: Lord God. Lord, as the word comes out tonight, let it penetrate our hearts, Let us
3: let it change our minds
2: so that we might
5: prepare, be prepared to go out and do your will, God.
1: Lord, let our actions be different, Lord. Yeah, Lord, let us be changed tonight as your word goes forth. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Man, you guys, you got to get pumped tonight. We're right. yeah, 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 yeah. an incredible chapter this evening. We're going to start in chapter 15, verse 36. We're going to read all the way from 16, all the way to 16, verse 40. And Pastor Wade is going to read it for us tonight. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back
5: and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey... So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened into faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia... They tried to enter Bithynia, Bithynia, but the Spirit of the Lord would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Hmm. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, (coughs) concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her honors by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their their officials to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. No, Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Come
6: on, church. Yeah. We got 46. verses that we're going over
2: tonight together. Now, before Justin Linton begins to read for us in chapter 15, verse 36, you should know that this text tonight that we're going through has been a text that the Spirit of God has used since the very beginning of this church that you're sitting in. He's used this text to lead us, to guide us, to help us, to open up our eyes, to give us revelation. This is a special text to us tonight. Amen. So as we start, keep
7: that in mind as Linton reads verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing.
2: All right, we've got a map for you guys to start out here. Because what's said here, Paul says to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word before. What are we talking about here? Look at this map. In the center of your screen here, you see those four ovular yellow shapes right there circled around some cities. You guys see that? Yes. These are the cities that we're talking about, where churches have been established on the last trip, and the desire of the brothers is to go back and see how things are going. In Acts chapters 13 and 14, Barnabas and Paul, they ministered in Cyprus. They ministered in Antioch of Pisidia, which is the top left circle. They ministered in Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, those four right there. In the regions within Galatia, they raised up elders for them in each of these locations and then encouraged them with the words, We must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The work that was done in these areas, it was remarkable. But the need for a follow-up visit was likely very strong at this point. Let's continue to verse 37. We're going to read all the way through 41. Hello.
7: Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left. Ended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord.
3: He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Saints, as we begin to engage with this text, you should know that it is possible for two men to have different convictions that both have their merit in their own right. Isn't that right? Yes. 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 Barnabas and Paul had a relationship much like that of a father and a son, but worked together as equal brothers. We hope that it is not shocking to you that fathers and sons and brothers uh, can have sharp disputes from time to time. Not
6: (laughs) shocking. The truth
3: truth of the situation is that Adonai was leading both men into fruitful ministry that included others who would not have been chosen to be a part of the efforts otherwise. However, the manner in which they came to their separation was clearly a mistake. The letter to the Corinthians shows that they reconciled this sharp dispute later on and had fruitful ministry together. Amen.
4: Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, picking up in 3. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I, who have no right to refrain from working for a living? I'm sorry, what was that? (laughs) Barnabas and And I. I. When Paul's ministry was being attacked in Corinth, Paul upholds Barnabas as an example of hard work in ministry. Both Paul and Barnabas continued to work to supply their own needs while ministering, and the Corinthians were familiar with their example. Our point in reading this is not to expound on the role of hard work while in ministry.
0: Although we could. (laughs) Even though we
4: could. But instead, we want to highlight that by no means was this the end of their relationship or their ministry together. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians was written long after the events of Acts 16. Paul and Barnabas are clearly seen to be working in the same fields once again.
0: Amen. Now. Considering that most people, or most of you, are naturally inclined to assume that Paul was right without consideration of what Barnabas was working to accomplish, <laughs> we wanted to take a moment to show you what happened with John Mark's life as a result of Barnabas' constant advocacy in his life. Come on. Yeah, that's good. Then we will go on to make a few observations about Paul's de- decision that will be pertinent to the chapter. So beginning with John Mark, the progress of John Mark, Colossians 4, 10-11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. These are the only men of the circumcision, or Jews, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Philemon 24. Epaphras, my fellow, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. 2 Timothy 4, 9-11. through 11. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, Amen. for he is very useful to me in ministry. Yeah. Now hear 1 Peter 5. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, Sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Yeah. So
1: John Mark's life was clearly not over because he had sinned and deserted on the first trip. Yeah. He went on to grow into a man. Amen. Come on, Paul yeah. said was a comfort to himself and should be received by the church of the Colossians. Yeah. In the letter to Philemon, Paul describes him as a fellow worker or partner in the work. Furthermore, in a moment of desperation when Demas had deserted Paul, he not only sent for Timothy, but asked Timothy to go get John Mark and bring him as well, because he was very useful in ministry. Perhaps in some ways, this was a redemption moment for John Mark, as he was able to fill a gap in Paul's life. He wasn't the deserter this time. No. (laughs) In this case, this shows a demonstrable progression of growth in John Mark's life ...as well as in his relationship with Paul. Paul, however, was not the only one to speak this way about John Mark. The Apostle
2: Peter would write that John Mark was his own son. So good. You guys may remember that Barnabas' given name was Joseph... ...which means adding... ...and that the Apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of prophecy. Throughout Barnabas' life, he continued to be a son of prophecy who added sons to the fold in the same way that he had originally added Paul. Come on. Yeah. While Barnabas did not contribute any works to the canon, and we know little about his work in Cyprus, it should be noted that the sons he constantly advocated for and elevated into brothers did greatly contribute to the canon, blessing generations of men. Right. You are all well aware of the Pauline epistles. What you may not be aware of is that is, is that it has been traditionally held for millennia that John Mark is the author of the Gospel come of on. Mark. Yeah. In many ways, Barnabas continues to be a shining example of the kind of man we all should want to be. So, in light of that, we're going to reread verses 39 through 41
7: in order to regain our perspective on Paul. come on. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches.
3: All right, so Paul, very well may have been right not to include John Mark on this trip, because the coming hardships may have been too much for him at this point. Regardless, <laughs> yeah, it was a little rough trip. Regardless, the hand of Adonai's sovereign mercy is clearly evident in the outcome, and we now have two teams at work in the field. Yeah. Before we continue, you should notice two things. The first is that Silas was one of the chosen men, selected by the Jerusalem community to represent them by word of mouth in accompaniment to the written letter addressed to Antioch. Syria, and Cilicia. Acts 15, 32-33 indicate that Silas had encouraged and strengthened the brothers, and that some time had passed in Antioch before this point. The issue of circumcision among the Gentiles had arisen in Antioch, and undoubtedly Silas played a large role in putting it to rest. With this in mind, there are likely multiple reasons that Paul wanted Silas to come on the journey. One of which is undoubtedly that their first two stops in verse 41 are the remaining regions that were addressed by the Jerusalem Council in the letters. The second thing that you should notice is that the community in Antioch commended them to the grace of God on this journey. Yeah. This is because they are going to complete the mission that came from Jerusalem, from the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 as well as to push it into new territories. With this in mind, let's go ahead and get into chapter 16, Lintonius.
7: He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek.
4: So the sovereignty of our king is a wonderful thing,
7: amen? Yeah. Yeah.
4: Despite the fact that this journey did not begin ideally, it's clear that Adonai's hand is in the events of the journey. Yeah. Timothy will go on to become a son in the faith and a fellow harvester, laboring in the fields of ministry. Yeah. Despite the fact that Acts 15 has clearly outlined that Gentiles are not to be circumcised, there remains confusion about the circumcision of Timothy and what the phrase, because of the Jews, means that we'd like to clear up for you real quick. Let's begin with the slide from David Stern. This is on the circumcision of Timothy. Had Timothy been a Gentile, there would have been no problem. Jews were glad to welcome Gentile God-fearers. fears. is because Timothy was, in fact, Jewish by virtue of having a Jewish mother... Yet uncircumcised, because his Gentile father had not had him circumcised. And because this was widely known, they all knew that his father was Greek, or had been a Greek, which may imply that the father was already dead. That there was danger of the Gospels being misrepresented as contrary to Judaism. The central issue at hand is that Timothy was considered Jewish by virtue of his heritage on his mother's side. The Acts 15 ruling was about whether or not a Gentile should be required to be circumcised, and the answer was resounding, that they do not need to be circumcised. This ruling, however, has no bearing on a man of Jewish descent. You follow us on that? Yeah. Paul continued to live as a Jew, maintaining the law of Moses, and did not teach Jews to live any other way. Amen. In many ways, Paul is playing the role of a father to Timothy by circumcising him, helping him complete his Jewish identity through the physical sign of circumcision. Additionally, to travel with Timothy, who would be considered Jewish while uncircumcised, would convey a message that they had disregarded the Torah and this simply was not the case. Let's take a look at another slide from the IDP
0: just in case one wasn't enough. (laughs) So under Jewish law, at least as early as the 2nd century, a person was presumed Jewish if his or her mother was Jewish. But even if that ruling was in effect in Paul's day, which is questionable, Timothy would not have been accepted as fully Jewish because he had not been circumcised. Wives were expected to submit to their husbands' religion, and Timothy's father had probably refused to let him be circumcised. Paul makes him a full Jew for the sake of his witness to the Jewish community. Paul opposed forcing circumcision on Gentiles. You see our last chapter in Acts 15. But not someone, Jewish or partly Jewish, identifying with their Jewish heritage for witness to their community. Thanks. in all likelihood, the only reason that Timothy was never circumcised was because his father would not allow it. 2 Timothy 1.5 lets you know that Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jewish believers. 2 Timothy 3.15 informs us that Timothy had known the scriptures, which would have been the Tanakh, the law of Moses, from his infancy. This is a far cry from someone who takes a DNA test and finds out that they're 1 16th (laughs) Jewish. has no Jewish cultural identity, Uh and was never raised in a Torah-observant home, and then suddenly declares that they are now Jewish. It seems clear that in going with Paul, Timothy is fully identifying with his Jewish heritage on a personal level and as a witness to his people. This is distinctly different than Gentiles who pretend to be Jews, Mm -hmm. appropriating a heritage that is not rightly theirs. This kind of behavior on the part of Gentiles does damage to the Jewish witness and not help. Furthermore, it ignores the Acts 15 ruling as well as Paul's later comments in 1 Corinthians 7. By way of contrast with Paul's behavior, you can see Titus in Galatians 2.3. And he should be taken as definitive proof that Paul considered Timothy a Jew. And that's why he circumcised him. Galatians 2.3 says...
1: But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So we're going to move on in the text. But if you want to learn more about Paul's view on the law as it relates to Jews and Gentiles, well, you can read Law Dog, which is available in a PDF, PDF format for anybody who wants it. Yeah, ask any one of the pastors. For now, let's go on
7: to verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions, reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So
1: Paul, Silas, and Timothy delivered the letter from Jerusalem as they went, and they continued to confirm it by word of mouth. This was done with the full backing and commendation of Antioch as one united church. In light of the ongoing mission, you can see why Timothy fully embracing his Jewish heritage was so important. Come on now. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are a threefold Jewish witness, and they are representing the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem to the mixed communities consisting of Jews and Gentiles. Remember, the purpose of the letter was to show Jewish acceptance of Gentile believers without the need to become proselytes. Additionally, the instructions in the letter were aimed at promoting table fellowship between Jews and Gentiles while they both remain
2: distinct in their respective identities. Jews at no point in time were encouraged to cease keeping Torah, and they were always to remain distinct from all other nations. Come on! Now it was clear that the Gentiles could fellowship with Jews and Messiah while maintaining their identity. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they acted as a threefold witness to yeah. this fact. Yeah. These words of clarity, as well as instruction, caused the believing communities to be strengthened in the faith and also to grow in numbers. Hey, man,
0: we're going to pause on that for just a minute. Our modern society has so twisted Acts 15 that we think that it is about a Jew's relationship to the law. Come on, That is patently false. The only thing ever in question was whether a goyim like you and me had to be circumcised to be saved. Come on now. The Torah continues and always will be a standard for the identity of Israel. Amen. Now, Nick has something to take us through. We read verse
2: 5, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's put our fifth progress report on. on the screen oh, okay. together. Let's
6: go. Right.
2: Progress report number 5, Acts 16 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Amen. You guys can see how the foundation of the Jerusalem community and the unity with outer outer I'm sorry, with outlying churches like Antioch only served to expand the kingdom of God at every single turn Amen. through history. Amen. Let's move on to verse six together.
7: Paul and his companions Traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. All right, let's put up our slide.
3: Thank you. <laughs> so we're coming from the region of Galatia, and this three, this team tried to enter Asia, and what happened? No, They no. failed! You can see the region of Asia in the lower X. Nope. The Holy Spirit would not allow them to go in. This team also tried to enter Bithynia, uh. in northern X,
6: uh. and they failed.
3: The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go in. These left them with exactly two options, the first being give up and go home, right? Not an option. Not an option, actually. (laughs) And the second being, go forward! Moving into the Western Territory. That is your green arrow. It should be both a sobering thing and a deeply encouraging thing when you realize the extent to which this team did not know where they should be. Hey, is that encouraging? Yes! (laughs) They did know that they had been commissioned by the grace of God with the approval of both Jerusalem, and Antioch. That's also encouraging. Now, they are trying to enter areas that the Spirit of Jesus will not allow them to go. Wow! However, the sovereignty of God is at work in this also. You need to know that this is the normative experience for men of God. The leading of His Spirit is not often an instruction manual, Come on. but instead the steering of His Spirit. Hallelujah. Many things could have been contributed to this steering, from like, Civil changes in Roman government, to weather patterns that made some geography passable and other areas not, etc. Many other things could have been. Additionally, after trying to enter an area, they may have just had the overwhelming sense that they had not yet found the will of God. And this is what they're wrestling with.
4: So the practical reality that must be drawn from this is that if you're going to accomplish anything in the kingdom of God... You have to be willing to try, say yeah. try. try, try try to be able to find and discern God's will. Some, some Christians like to propagate the idea that they're just so led oh, yeah. that they always know exactly where they should be. They lie. <laughs> they lie. They lie.
6: <laughs>
4: While we are certain that these dearly loved brothers are in fact led by the spirit at times, of Paul and his companions was certainly not a step-by-step manual. That's true. true. They had to try, say try, try, and search, say and search, 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 for where the favor of Jesus rested on them to be. In light of that, let's examine a later writing of Paul that is commenting on our ability to see on
0: this side of the resurrection. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 9-12. For we know in part, oh, yeah. and we prophesy in part. Right. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now, known in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Thanks. The reality is that we are but children working to discern our Father's direction. Yeah. Many times we do see in part or prophesy in part, but we never have the complete picture. That's so true. Now, fortunately, I mean, thanks be to God, yes. our Father does have the full picture. Yes. Yeah. You will see in the coming verses that the sovereignty of Adonai will cause this team to end up exactly where they need to be as they trust him and continue to try. Try. Now, can I tell you our own experiences are in perfect agreement with the testimony of this team? Yes. However, there's a difference. It often took us much longer to discern when the Spirit of Jesus would not allow us into an area. Let's look into the law at the experience of Moses. This
1: comes from Exodus 3.12. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Look, we love the Lord's encouragement to Moses. When you have completed what I have told you, then that will be your sign that I've sent you. More commonly than not, the Lord shows us the end goal of our lives. Or even the end goal of the generations that will come after us. And then you are required to try and receive further instructions along the way. That's true. true. In our teaching team tonight, we have received genuine revelation about the gospel reaching the Middle East and then ultimately reaching Jerusalem itself. Can we tell you that we did not immediately receive instruction about each step along the way? True. No. We have spent years trying being steered and developed and even realized that there were steps along the way that we never
2: imagined would be there. Now, when Justin says that we've tried, (laughs) what he actually means is that we've literally spent tens of thousands of dollars over the course of many years trying to enter into Turkey. (laughs) Just did oh. it with us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only to realize that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow us to go there, but that it would, however, ultimately be reached for the gospel. Amen. Like we said earlier, Paul, Silas, and Timothy responded to the Holy Spirit, telling them, no, a lot faster than we did. <laughs> however, we did conclude over time Hallelujah. that God had called us to go to the Balkans yeah. Yeah. to prepare a way for ministry that will reach Turkey and then go all the way back to Israel. Amen. 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 The, Lord. the sovereignty of Adonai working through all things, even the stubbornness of us <laughs> as men looking through a dimly lit glass, well, it's a wonder to behold. Yeah. Guys, let's move on to the prophets together. We want to read a passage from Jeremiah's experience.
3: yeah. Yeah, this is going to be Jeremiah 10, verse 23. It says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Put simply, the ministry experience of Jeremiah taught him that the ultimate destination of a man's life who loves the Lord and is called according to his purpose It's not really up to the man. It is Adonai who will sovereignly lead the man into his will for his life if that man will be faithful to walk in the way, trusting Adonai. I am sure your ability to hear from the Lord is a lot better than Jeremiah's, though. But we're going to... No!
1: Look, I know you guys can appreciate this. I spent a great deal of time, like... I spent six years trying to discern what team I was supposed to join in in lifelong covenant and partnership. We're in an amazing association filled with men that have incredible qualities and have overlapping areas of ministry. There's a plurality to choose from, but it wasn't until I had tried to investigate and walk in what God's will was. And I had personally been told no several times by the spirit of Jesus in several areas that I was able to discern what God had ordained for me. And I can say now that the Lord has placed me in the perfect team with the perfect giftings precisely in the timing that he wanted. Let's go.
4: It's time for a proverb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Proverbs 16, verse (laughs) 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Our hearts, even when well-intentioned, are just often wrong. Yeah. Many times we think our hearts are well-intentioned, yeah. but in fact they are not. Yeah. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and Silas, who was said to be a prophet in chapter 15, had to try to enter areas, get it wrong, and trust in the leading of Adonai's ultimate sovereignty. If it was true of them, isn't it true of us also? Yes, yes. We must mature as men of God and cease to act devastated when we make a mistake wow. or fail to instantly perceive the leading of Adonai. Come on. Good. Men of God have always been required to walk forward in the face of uncertainty, church. You are filled with a spirit that
3: is not a spirit of timidity. Oh, come on. Yeah, this is good. You know, something you may not know about me is that I was a tree hugger. <laughs>
6: A three that
3: wanted to save the world from the evil of oil and gas. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Al Gore. I believed I was being spirit-led back then. However, after that door closed, then I believed that instead of saving the world from the evil of carbon emissions, I would save it through science and medicine. So having been accepted to carry out a PhD in Baylor College of Medicine, Our father also closed that door because the funding was also, was only for citizens. (laughs) (laughs) What happened happened next is that I found a job in the beautiful industry of oil and gas. Corinthian mercy was establishing my steps. The desire to save the world was God-born, but he would find its fulfillment in the gospel and not through any human means, amen?
0: He's a Texas-Columbian now. While you're contemplating visions like reaching Jerusalem or evangelizing the Middle East that are from God but are much further down the road than you thought at first, yeah. You should know that 1 Peter records that each of the areas that Paul, Silas, and <laughs> Timothy were denied access to would indeed be reached by the gospel eventually. Come yeah. on. 1 Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, <laughs> Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, wow. and Bithynia. Wow. So at the time of Peter's writings. There was a strong enough presence in the region of Asia and Bithynia to have a letter addressed directly to them. Come on. The way that our team can work all things out so that each area has a witness at the appropriate time, well, it's beautiful to see. Yeah. Yeah. Additionally, the coming chapters in Acts will also take us through some of these regions, but at the time that was apportioned by God yeah. and not a man. Absolutely. Let's pick up in verse 9.
7: During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So there are several amazing
1: things that we would like to point out for you in these verses. To begin with, you should take note of the way that they were given further direction as they pursued the only way left open to them yeah. by the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus. Now they have concluded that God has called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And that vision was given to them as they were moving forward in the only possible option that was left. Oh, yeah. Oh. If we were the kind of people who needed to point out every time we were right about something that we laid yeah. out in the overview of the book. <laughs> no, that's not true then we would never finish this session. However, <laughs> however, there is one thing here that we cannot help but to take a minute to celebrate. Let's take our next
2: slide together. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus God. <laughs> <laughs> this is Acts 16. Look at verse six together. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Then verse seven said, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And then finally in verse 10, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We've never had a particular affinity for terms like the Trinity. Or any other designation not utilized by actual biblical authors. However, it is clear that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and God are indeed one in the narrative of Acts, as well as in the rest of the biblical account. The Holy Spirit in verse 6 is said to have kept them from entering Asia. (laughs) Then the Spirit of Jesus in verse 7 was said to have kept them from entering Bithynia. Then it was concluded that God had arranged it all. In verse ten, oh. you should remember this slide that encapsulates what we have been saying since the beginning of our time in the Book of Acts.
3: Oh, you remember this slide? It's entitled <coughs> "The Title of the Book of Acts." From John sixteen thirteen, it says, "When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears." He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit never draws attention to Himself, but rather moves to exalt the Son. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, according to those references (coughs) up there. This is how the works of Jesus can be fulfilled when He said, And surely I am with you always. the very end of the age. Luke was the record of all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, the actions of Jesus. The book of Acts is the record of all that Jesus began to do and teach through his body on earth as he fulfilled the great commission. So Acts could be called the actions of Jesus through his body on earth as empowered by his Holy Spirit. Jesus is the superstar of the book of Acts. Say his name, Ray. Jesus! This is the part where we take a moment to tell you that we were right. The book of Acts is the record of all that Jesus began to do and teach through his body on earth as he fulfilled the great commission. Amen. This team is being led by Jesus, is steered by Jesus, so that they fulfill their part in the great commission. Upon recognizing this, they conclude that it is God who had called him to preach the gospel to them. In this way, Jesus is continually magnified through the book of Acts, as it is clear that no man was responsible for this team arriving at the right direction, but rather it was Jesus who was with them and in them who caused them to arrive at the right direction. Jesus is the superstar of the book of Acts. So there are two more things that we need to pick up
7: before moving on. So let's read verse 10. One more time. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Thank you, Lord. So
4: the first item that we need to gather is the interaction and response of the team upon receiving the vision. Now, if this were an average American team, Paul would have demanded that everyone follow him as the great man of God who had the vision. That's true. In that, some would have followed him blindly without consideration or any discernment added to the conclusion. (laughs) While others would have refused to go, indicating that God must reveal it to them personally first before they would be willing to go. And mostly, it would be driven out of their own pride and insecurity. Both of these two responses are equally below the biblical standard. You guys know that, right?
0: Oh yeah.
4: Verse ten in the NIV, ESV, and NASB all say, "In some tense of the word, or some sense of the word, that they had
0: the first time." All in some tense of the word.
4: In some tense of the word, they had concluded that God had called them to preach. This team is a model for all of us in many ways. The whole team considered a vision given to one of them. ...as their collective vision... ...and they all concluded together... ...as a team... Yeah. ...that God had called them to go... Yeah. ...we must both cultivate the ability... ...to trust our brother's revelation fully... ...without alleviating our own responsibility... ...to be an active second... ...or third witness... ...in concluding what God's will is... Lord. ...lastly on this point... ...notice that they got ready at once... Come on. yeah. ...this was not a long drawn out process... But was instead quickly decided and immediately acted upon. This is because they all have been actively trying to discern what God's will is. And now that they have found it together, they're eager to respond to the divine direction. In many ways, the example of this team in Acts 16 is the reason that there's a church called LCM here today. And furthermore, a one association that sprung up from this ministry. Mm -hmm. The commitment to die for our brother's vision is something we must cultivate through the generations, even to the extent, extent of our brother's vision, when it becomes our vision, just like this team in Acts 16. Come on, That's, come on. That's a good word. Yeah.
0: The second item that we need to gather is a small note in the Greek grammar that could be easily missed. You ready for this next slide? Yeah, I'm Ready. Luke just joined. Come, come Let's on, go. Uh, The first of the we sections begins here in Acts, indicating that Luke joined the party of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. The how, the why, and the precise location of Luke's joining, well, those are left unstated. From another commentary below, in this verse, we first remark the very important introduction of the pronoun we into the narrative, marking the presence of the historian himself. In showing that he first joined St. Paul at Troas, he went with him to Philippi. So look, the exact times and places that Luke is present personally can be difficult to discern, given that he compiles events that he was not present for as a matter of record in his letter to Theophilus. However, he's unquestionably a part of the team here, concluding what Adonai and his sovereignty has ordained as their next step. And he will be a participator in the coming events. Come on now. <laughs> so as we continue in the narrative toward the culmination of this process of being led by the Spirit, yeah. you will see that there are still several unexpected turns along the way before reaching the Macedonian <coughs> land. all of which are within the sovereignty of Adonai. I'll I'll so let's pick up in verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea
7: and sailed straight for Samothrath. And the next day, on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So we want to show you the continuation of
1: this journey on our map. You can see Troas, where Paul is called, or the team is called to preach, in Macedonia. Then, as they travel across the sea, you can see in the green circle, Philippi. So having been denied access to Asia and Bithynia, they arrived at a dead end in Troas. They get to where the sea is. They can't go further. They're at the edge of the landmass that they were currently ministering in when they received direction to proceed to Macedonia in search of a Macedonian man. Now they have finally arrived. Let's keep going in our
7: text and see what happens in Macedonia. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So in our previous sessions,
2: we've already showed you that it was Paul's custom to enter the local synagogue on the Sabbath day and begin to interact with Jews that were in the area. In Philippi, however, we see him heading toward a river instead. What's up with that?
6: Yeah.
2: Well, our next slide will help to explain why this is the case. It's entitled, Where Jews Prayed When There Was Not a Synagogue. A Jewish congregation was made up of ten men who were heads of their households. Wherever there were ten male heads of households who could be in regular attendance, a synagogue was to be formed. Failing the... Failing this, a place of prayer under the open sky and near a river or the sea was to be arranged. Though rabbinic sources do not explicitly say that the place of prayer must be by water, but Philippi apparently did not have such a, ma- such a male quorum and so was without a synagogue. On the Sabbath, therefore, Paul and his associates walked outside the city in search of a Jewish place of prayer. They probably headed toward the Gangites River, about a mile and a half west of the city. There they found some women gathered to recite the Shema. Pray the Shemone Esre, the Amidah. The Amidah. Read from the Law and the Prophets. Discuss what they had read and, if possible, Hear from a traveling Jewish teacher, an exposition or exhortation, and receive a blessing.
3: So it's clear from both, uh, from the record of the diaspora Jews in Ezekiel 1 through 3, and later Jewish writings, that in the absence of a central meeting place, like the temple or a synagogue, Jews tended to gather around the nearest body of water for prayer. Additionally, to hold a formal meeting in the synagogue, 10 heads of households were required to be present. In addition, there are many political changes going on in the Roman Empire at this time that were hostile towards the Jewish people. We will touch on this later, but these political changes may explain the distinct lack of Jewish men present in this current setting. As a last note before we continue, you should notice that there is no indication that the theme or Paul personally received a directive from heaven about attending this meeting on the Sabbath. Oh, wow! Instead, Paul is just following his usual custom that he had maintained since his youth as a Jewish man. Yeah. Paul's adherence to Sabbath observance and his zeal to preach the gospel first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, is something that Adonai is about to sovereignly use in a powerful way. Let's yeah. take 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. A
7: dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. <laughs> and she persuaded me.
4: Boots yeah. yeah. So while you're interacting with these verses, try to put yourself in the illusion of the first time. Come on. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. 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 Your team had a vision about a Macedonian man, Man. Man. and there are no men listed here. The chief person to respond is a woman who isn't even from Macedonia. She's from Thyatira. Now Thyatira is a city in the province of Asia, which is one of the cities that the Holy Spirit would not allow the team to enter. Could you be excited for Lydia, but disheartened to be speaking with a woman from the wrong place? Yes, I have to. This too is a part of Adonai's sovereignty. When the Lord gives you a clear task, there are so often many stops along the way that do not look like what you first envisioned, but are still equally important. We, the people of ministry, must learn to maintain the original vision that the Lord has given us, without disregarding the people and stops along the way Amen. that are different than what we first anticipated. Oh, that's good. That's
0: good word. Well, while you are contemplating <laughs> our own tendency to disregard yeah. anything different than what we had originally envisioned <laughs> and our own conception of the mission, it's worth talking about Lydia a little bit. Yeah. She was said to be a worshiper of God in many ways, This is similar to the description of Jewish men on the Sabbath in Acts 13.43, whom Paul and Barnabas urged to continue in the grace of God because they were already in it. In general, as a byproduct of a 2,000-year-old split between mainstream Judaism and mainstream Christianity, without intending to, we view Jews coming to faith in Messiah as a conversion experience, from Judaism to Christianity. This is simply not the case, and it is inappropriate to think of Lydia or speak of her that way. Lydia is in relationship with Adonai to the fullest possible extent at this point, prior to having the good news about Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, revealed to her by Paul, Silas, Timothy, and our friend Luke. She's in attendance of a Sabbath meeting, where prayer and discussion of the word would take place, and hear this, even without men around to lead, Come on, awesome. when she hears about Jesus, she immediately responds, and should be seen as completing her faith, oh, man. Hey, man. Oh, yeah. the best part is, that after she and her household were baptized, she quite boldly, I mean with some hoot <laughs> persuades or as many of the more literal translations say, prevails upon the team to come into her homes. Her believing faith was immediately evidenced by sacrificial actions of hospitality toward the team. In our review together, we've already noted this theme from Acts chapter two forward. To say it simply, real faith always is accompanied by actions of faith. So let us move to verse sixteen. Let's go. Once we were going to the place of prayer,
7: we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit lifted. Well,
1: this whole scenario at first glance appears to be very odd. Yes, yes it does. We have a demon-possessed slave girl who was said to have earned money for her owners by predicting the future, kind of like prophecy books written today, and is now following the team around, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. While there are certainly many ministers who would welcome any envoy who proclaimed their status as servants of the Most High God and confirmed that they had a message of salvation, Paul clearly was not accepting of this flattery. And he was greatly annoyed or troubled by the whole event. What we find to be even more interesting is the fact that Paul allowed this to go on for, quote, many days. This could have been for many reasons, but chief of them was likely that he did not feel a clear directive from the Lord as to how he should or should not deal with the demoniac. So let's take a a look at our next slide and see what it was that
2: brought Paul to a place of action. You guys uh, solely reading through the NIV 84 are gonna have a good time with this slide here. <laughs> okay, so it says Paul was provoked, very angry, or greatly annoyed. Let's look at the Greek that's actually behind Paul's emotions here. So the first block of text: to be strongly irked oh, wow. or provoked, earth. 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 to become angry. Okay, let's look at another variant: to be very <laughs> angry. Mm. What about another definition? Look at the last one. Greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed. Paul acted against this spirit at the place where he was. Provoked, very angry, or very annoyed. Our point in teaching you this is not to encourage you to fly off of the handle, obviously. (laughs) Now Paul spent many days considering this situation before deciding to act when his annoyance or anger had reached its peak. Our point is that even in this, Adonai is at work in sovereignly leading this team to exactly where they need to be. Yeah. So, we have no way to know for sure exactly how long they have been in Philippi, but definitely a considerable amount of time has passed and they still have not found the Macedonian man that God showed them from the vision.
1: It's kind of annoying.
2: That is because... <laughs> yeah. That's because he's in the prison performing his job description.
6: Okay. Oh, that's really
2: Through the anger or annoyance of Paul, Yahweh is setting things into motion that will finally cause them to run into the man they came here to meet from the start of the stories. Once again, the leading of the spirit, more often than not, looks like steering, rather than step-by-step-by-step instruction. True.
3: There is another element to this story that is revealed in the original language of verse 16. We have a slide for you. Saddled, possessed by a snake spirit. Some men were exploiting a demon-possessed slave girl for her ability to predict the future. The English words a spirit by which she predicted the future translate two Greek words, a spirit, a python. Whoa. This concept goes back to the Greek deity of Delphi where the god Apollo was believed to be embodied in a python snake. The original priestess at Delphi was preferred to be possessed by Apollo and thereby able to predict the future. Therefore, anyone possessed by the python spirit could foretell coming events. So if we had time, and we don't, we would go down a scripture chain with you regarding the ancient serpent and the way that he has held the disobedient captive since the beginning of our story on this earth, and we'll continue to do so until he is finally thrown into the lake of fire. Instead, we're going to just cover three short verses. All right, let's begin in Genesis 3, picking up
4: in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now from the beginning, this serpentine entity had said things that were close to what God said in in an attempt to twist and dilute God's word. It's imperative that we learn from Adam's mistakes and take the time to personally learn the word and teach the word to our families without additions or subtractions that are based upon our preferences. However, this serpent will even at times directly quote God's word, but with the wrong spirit and with the wrong application.
0: That brings us to Luke 4, beginning in verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now notice that's a direct quotation. Jesus answered. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, the spirit within this slave girl is proclaiming the right things, but it is devoid of an actual desire to bring glory to God. We're short on time, so we're not going to go off talking about (laughs) believers who say the right things but are devoid of a desire to bring glory to God. However, the deceptive nature of this snake spirit is something that we all should be aware of. And hear me, aware of it especially when it appears in the form of praise toward any work that we are doing. Let's take our last one, and then we'll keep moving in the
1: text. James 2.19, you believe that there is one God. Good! Even the demons believe that. And shudder. A constant theme in the book of Acts, as well as the whole biblical narrative, is that belief that is not accompanied by right action is not enough and is, in fact, not real belief, according to a biblical definition. When Lydia received the word, Her first response was to move in the action of hospitality. We should all be warned of men who profess and praise the right things, but do not act sacrificially in obedience to the commands of Jesus. On a more important note, we must not be men who praise and profess the right things, but do not act sacrificially in obedience to the spirit of Jesus. Because to do otherwise would be to operate and a serpentine spirit. We are confident of better things in your case, so let's keep moving. Verse 19.
7: When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them there before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice
2: very clear here that the owners of the slave girl are embittered because they can no longer exploit her for profit. And they actually go on to falsely accuse Paul and Silas. Even at this point in the story, you should be reflecting on the sovereignty of God in each of the unjust situations before this moment in the narrative. About like when Peter and the other apostles were in prison. James's death. So on and so forth. Every time there is mistreatment of God's people. Every time. Adonai works through all things for the good of those who love him. While it's clear that Paul and Silas are being attacked for reasons of personal greed and resentment, the accusations presented by their accusers are different from what you might expect. They are as follows. These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Wow. And secondly, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. It's important for you guys to note that there is no mention of the loss of income in their accusations. No mention of a particular teaching that violated Roman law. What they do mention is is that these men are Jews. Like it's a crime. These men are Jews. And they accuse them of advocating for customs that we Romans just can't accept. Mm. When these men are una- What these men are unaware of is that Paul and Silas are indeed Roman citizens, and we're about to find that out in a great way. Yeah, no. Additionally, they have not broken any law. However, (laughs) the accusations that they choose to present are indicative of a change in the political
3: climate of the Roman Empire. We have a slide for you. All right, we told you we were going to get into this, and here it is. Title, Rising Tensions Between Rome and the Jews. The Jews of Rome, however, who had become very numerous, were not allowed to hold assemblages there. An enactment, in full correspondence with the general policy of Augustus, regarding Judaism in the West. Mm. The edicts mentioned were largely due to the intimacy of Claudius with Herod Agrippa, grandson of Herod the Great, who had been living in Rome and had been in some measure instrumental in securing the succession for Claudius. Mm. Whatever concession to the Jews, Claudius may have been induced out of friendship for Herod Agrippa to make at the beginning of his reign there's the Latin phrase, an event assigned by some to year uh, 50 AD, the others supposed to have taken place somewhat later, among the Jews, thus banished from Rome, were Aquila and Priscilla, with whom Paul became associated at Corinth mm. in Acts 18.2. With the reign of Claudius, it is also associated the famine, which was foretold by Agabus, which we read in Acts 11.28. So in summary, we do not have a way of knowing the precise, I mean, the exact time that these events are occurring in. However, they are well within a reasonable chain, uh, range of Claudius' expulsion of all the Jews from Rome. To grasp the climate in a principal Roman colony like Philippi, you have to understand that when Rome was favorable toward the Jews due to an alliance with an Edomian kingship of the Herods, they tolerated the Jews in the capital city of Rome but they did not allow them to assemble in regular Jewish worship. Wow. That's when they were favorable yeah. towards right. the Jews. Wow. Yeah. This was at the beginning of Claudius' reign, when he was favorable toward the Jews. At this point in history, we're all at the later third of his reign, and the Jews <laughs> have been or will be surely entirely expelled from Rome. Wow. This animosity toward the people, the Jewish people would have had a great trickle-down effect to principal Roman colonies like Philippi, yeah. which is the context of our verse today. The owners of the slave girl are not even required to lay out a legitimate case. The mere inference that these men are Jews and are advocating for customs that are unlawful immediately works up the magistrates due to the hostility that is already present in the environment toward Jews in general. Are you getting this? Yes. Again. This may be why there was no synagogue or substantial male presence in the city. Again, in Luke's description of the meeting by the river, there is no no mention of even one man who was there to pray as well. Our point is not to venture into conjecture about whether they were widows or unmarried women. Probably a widow. Probably. Our point is that the environment was exceedingly hostile toward the Jewish people. While you're considering the environment that this team was led by this uh, was being led by the Spirit of Jesus to minister in, let's read Ephesians six together. Ephesians six, picking up in verse ten. Finally,
4: be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, it's not within our purview this evening to retread our celestial powers teaching, but you should remember that the progression of spiritual enemies, for example, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil, are paralleled by authority structures of the beastly Gentile empires that are described in the Tanakh. What is happening as this team forcibly extends the kingdom of God into this area is that every level of evil spiritual power is being upset from demonic
0: snake spirits to ruling authorities. Yeah, to clarify that, from the lowest, a random spirit in a slave girl to the greatest powers over the areas and principalities are all getting angry yeah. at this.
4: All of them. Kingdom is clashing against kingdom but it is the people of God who will prove victorious through the sovereignty of Adonai Amen. who can use all things Amen. to accomplish his desire. Amen. On a last note, there is a theme in Acts that is developing. It is namely that the further away we get from Jerusalem, both physically and spiritually, the more simple practices are directly tied to sources of income for the inhabitants of a given region. The kingdom will continue to expand into darker and darker territories through the willing sacrifice of its bearers.
7: Verse 22, brother. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Wow.
0: Look, before we move on, just note that there is no investigation into their possible crime, yeah. or even questions asked. You're going to see other scenarios in Acts where the magistrates do ask questions. They assume the guilt of Paul and Silas based upon their ethnic background and their proposed accusation alone. This is indicative of the hostile and dark environment. However, this injustice, it too will greatly serve Adonai's purpose. Brother Lenton, get 23 and 24 for me. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown
7: into prison and the jail was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders,
0: He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So saints, you're all well aware that this will result in an incredible miracle. Yeah. Salvation of a whole household and the fulfillment of a vision given to the team. However, before we get to that part where all of it was well worth it because you can see the fruit, we're going to engage with the cost of seeing a vision fulfilled. This beating was not like a fist fight in a parking lot where you're sore the next day. To be flogged would mean that they were stretched out and beaten with whips, or in this case, rods. It's even like physical marks on Paul and marks on his memory to the extent that he would write about this later on. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians 11.25.
1: Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. The Greek word in this passage for beaten with rods is rabdizo, which is the same word used in Acts 16.23, and it only appears these two times in the New Testament. Paul clearly reflected on this event that he had experienced with Silas for years to come, years. and in many ways was proud to have endured it for the sake of the gospel. He would even go on to mention what happened to him in Philippi when writing to the
2: community in Thessalonica. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, yeah. that's what we're talking about here, as you know... We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We're going to have to keep moving, but the gravity of this willing sacrifice, it shouldn't be underestimated. Come on! In the coming verses, we're going to find out that both Paul and Silas, they could have actually stopped this beating at any time, but they chose not to because they trusted in the sovereignty of their father. Come Come on. on.
7: Let's go on to verse 25. About midnight, (laughs) Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. Come on. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Mm. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved?
3: Come on. Oh, come on, what a beautiful story, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. yes. Any good Bible commentary will let you know that ancient jailers were responsible for the sentences of an escapee. <laughs> Meaning that if various prisoners with many year-long sentences and some of them probably awaiting execution escaped, yeah, when the jailer, uh, then the jailer. would be <laughs> when the escape when the jailer would be escaped, then the jailer would be required to under, undertake the penalty for having them escape, <coughs> let them
0: escape. So if we pause for a minute again. You can look this up in many of the most basic commentaries. That's why we didn't take the time to make a slide on it. Jailers in the first century and in traditional ancient customs were required to pay the penalty with their own life if prisoners escaped. That's why this is so serious. Wow. Yeah.
3: You know this from a comparable scenario, which we've read in Acts 12, 19, where Herod executes 16 guards... who were responsible for guarding Peter when he miraculously miraculously escaped. In a sense, the biggest supernatural event, actually, was not the earthquake. Although it is reminiscent of the events in Acts 4.31, which was precipitated by prayer for boldness while under adversity and then produced a shaking of the place where they were meeting. Mm -hmm. The larger miracle is that the other prisoners did not run away when they had the chance. This was undoubtedly a part of Adonai's divine hand in the whole scenario. (laughs) On a pragmatic and beautiful note, what were
4: Paul and Silas found doing just prior to the earthquake? Uh, You know what they were doing. Paul and Silas were praying and singing Horse and the Rider. (laughs) And as they were doing that Other prisoners were listening to them You may remember from Acts 12 That while Peter was in prison He was found to be peacefully sleeping And here we see Paul and Silas Joyfully singing and praying Within the hearing of other prisoners When considering their example In the face of opposition And shameful treatment We think that our faith needs to grow For sure They had total trust in the sovereignty of Adonai who had brought them to this place in which they were able to joyfully pass their time while in stocks in the inner part of the prison. Perhaps their example of rejoicing during trial is part of the reason that the other prisoners did not run away when they had the opportunity. Do you have such joyful trust in the sovereignty of your father that through unjust circumstances people would stay and choose to stay in prison just to see the outcome of your life?
0: Wow. <laughs> question. Yeah, I'm gonna let you sit on that for a second. <laughs> on a final note, many commentators have erroneously made a connection to a Greek myth involving an earthquake and the jailer's response, sirs, what must I do to be saved? When considering the character of our father, we think that it is far more reasonable to conclude that this man had some awareness of the God of Israel and his need for salvation
2: Come on.
0: and was in need of further revelation. Come on now. When you pair his response with the dream the team received of a Macedonian man saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Seems that Adonai has gone to great lengths to ensure that this one life oh, yeah, and I then did. subsequently his one family yes. oh would receive the gospel from his sons, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Hallelujah. This is because one life and one family can change one nation at a time. Amen. Come on. Let's go to verse 31.
7: Yeah. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Come on. Since the jailer asked, what
1: must I do to be saved? The response of Paul and Silas was to believe and he would be saved. This is because real biblical belief or faith always produces trust-grounded obedience. You'll find that in James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith By what I do. This verse has always been a hallmark of this ministry. Because it is in fact the hallmark of the gospel. The apostles, however, did not stop with saying that the jailer would be saved. They went on to say, you and your household. Household. This is because biblical men were expected to lead their households into the same faith. You can
0: say that again. Oh,
1: man. Biblical men were expected to lead their households into the same faith and trust-grounded obedience that they possess. Imagine Timothy watching this. In Acts 2.38-39, Peter declared that repentance and the infilling of the Holy Spirit was not only for the men and women listening, but also for their children. In Acts 11, we see the same example... With the household
2: and friends of Cornelius. Guys, we gotta highlight it. Right here in this point in our text, man, it's such a truly beautiful moment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're seeing the literal transformation of one life and one family along with that one life. Mm-hmm. That's gonna lead to the transformation of an entire nation. Come on. Yeah. Such a beautiful picture. Yeah. Yeah. The sovereign hand of Yahweh God has brought so many events about in order to arrange this moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I want you to think about that for a second. All of the things that had to happen along the way for them to get to this moment right here with this Macedonian man. Oh, that's good. In fact, we're going to have to put a slide up oh. so that you can see yeah. just what kind of moments we're talking about. Let's take a moment to appreciate the sequence of events that brought us to this point. This is entitled, The Cost of Seeing a Vision Fulfilled. First, there is a dispute about circumcision in Antioch, which led Paul and Barnabas to be sent to Jerusalem. They were then sent back to Antioch with Silas and Judas, along with a letter to the churches in Antioch. Syria and Cilicia then after taking the letter to Antioch the church in Antioch Commissioned them to take it to the other churches that they had visited before This involved the dispute between Paul and Barnabas wow. so many events taking place here The team wanted to go to Asia and Bithynia, but they could not go there So they kept going in the only path they could, which was forward, to the west. Well, they finally got to Troas, where they stopped, for that was on the coast of Asia. But in Adonai's sovereignty, they received a dream about this Macedonian man. They worked as a team. They all concluded together that they needed to cross over into Macedonia. Then they met a woman named Lydia, ...who was from the province of Asia. She wasn't even from Macedonia, guys. But she believed. This was not the Macedonian man. But praise God, this was one of the steps that they almost stumbled into along their journey. Once they were in Philippi, after becoming so annoyed, Paul cast the spirit out of a slave girl. This caused Paul and Silas to be beaten and then put in prison. <coughs> and finally, yeah. it was while in prison that these men met the Macedonian man. Come on! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But guys, it would only be through their joyful expression of faith in the sovereignty of their God and also after a supernatural earthquake that the Macedonian man would then believe. Come on good. This should serve as a testimony in our own lives. As we walk through that, we want you guys to put yourself in their shoes just for a moment and think about all of the many points along the way that God caused them to encounter. This is going to remind us tonight of the incredible capacity our Father has to orchestrate events in the absence of even of our own awareness of how his will is going to actually come about. Again, as Paul would later write, in all things, say that with me, in all things, things God works for the good of those who love him. Come on. God works for the good of those who love him, come on. who've been called according to his purpose. And that is you, men and women in this room. We would all do well to make it a steadfast conviction in our lives that we will joyfully sing, we will joyfully pray in any of our circumstances. Oh, yeah. oh and we commit right now that we will trust in the sovereignty of our good Father yes. yeah. rather than sit there and complain or sit there and choose to fight in order to protect ourselves. Because in this manner right here, we will see the kingdom of God expand in exactly the same way that these men of God all. Oh. expand. Yeah. Verse 32.
7: Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He <laughs> and his whole, hallelujah. Man, that's good.
3: Come on. <laughs> Once again, a note that any good Bible commentary can help you with is that due to the precarious nature of being a God in the ancient world, they tended to need to remain available for duty at all times. The Macedonian man's home was not away from the jail, but instead it was attached or part of the structure itself. Now, onto more important details in the text, the Macedonian man responded to the message by first caring for oh. the wounds yeah, yeah. of Paul and yeah. Silas. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. Cool. And then immediately being baptized. Just like Lydia and all real believers, his faith produced action. Yeah. The willing sacrifice of Paul and Silas produced the salvation of this man and his whole family. Now the man takes the first opportunity to care for Paul and Silas in every way he's able to. He not only cared for their wounds, he brought them into his home and then fed them. This is how the kingdom of God is intended to operate. And it is how the record of Acts shows the kingdom of God consistently expanding. Let's go on to verse 35.
7: When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, (laughs) they beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prisons. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. No. No! Let them come themselves. And escort us out. So we've been telling you that
4: Paul and Silas willingly endured this beating, yeah. and we're going to explain why. Look at this next slide on a willing sacrifice. Paul's demand that the magistrates escort him and Silas out of the prison appears to be vindictive, but it probably was designed to spare the young church in Philippi from further harassment. Hmm. It certainly would place the believers in a far more secure position before the officials. That's true. Born a citizen, twenty-two twenty-eight, Paul had certain rights, including a public hearing. And no Roman citizen was supposed to be scourged. Oh wow. You guys catching that? Yeah. Yes. In only two places in Acts was Paul harmed or threatened by Gentiles. And Philippi and Ephesus in Philippi and in Ephesus, and you can see that in the reference there. In both instances, people were losing money, invested uh, invested interest, and in each case, Paul was vindicated by a Roman
0: official. Wow. So Paul clearly had a right to deal with the magistrates in this way, because they could face serious punishment for what they had so thoughtlessly done. To not one but two Roman citizens. Oh, right. I appreciate that the slide likes to zero in on Paul, but Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Yeah. Paul and Silas had willingly offered themselves to the will of Adonai here in Philippi. Later in Acts twenty two twenty five, you will see that at other times, Paul did not take the beating, but instead commanded the men to stop, informing him as he was a Roman citizen with rights. Apparently in this situation, although they could have asserted their rights as citizens of Rome, they felt compelled as citizens of another kingdom to endure the beating, trusting that it was indeed in Adonai's sovereignty. Paul's clear motivation for making the magistrates escort him out is twofold. The first being, he wanted to ensure the safety of the believing community by clearing up the idea that he or any of them that are associated with him had participated in wrongdoing or unlawful practice, thereby associating the believing community there with him and Silas as law-abiding Roman citizens. The second reason that Paul made the magistrates escort him out was that they and anyone else watching would know that he and Silas willingly took the beating for the sake of the gospel. Much in the same way that Jesus willingly offered his life. Paul and Silas willingly offered their lives. Jesus, Paul, and Silas were free of any misconduct or error in the events that led up to the sacrifice of their body, mind, will, and emotions. To the sovereignty of the Father's will. Now having been escorted out, out everyone is aware of this fact you catching this, that they willingly put themselves in this situation yeah. and then allowed it to be shown to the world? Yeah. yeah. Justin's going to take us through a specific passage in Matthew 10, and then we'll continue in the text. So this is Matthew 10, 16 through 20. Jesus says,
1: Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. speaking through Paul and Silas are clearly acting in accordance with the teachings and prophetic insights of Jesus. Remember in Acts 9, it was revealed to Paul that he would stand before the Gentiles and kings. You can certainly see that Adonai is developing him through this process, and in the chapters ahead, he will not be standing before magistrates. It will indeed be beat kings. (laughs) Let's
7: pick up in verse 38. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed.
2: You done messed up, man.
7: (laughs) (laughs) They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. (laughs) Yep. The
2: magistrates are figuring out that they messed up. Man, these guys were Roman citizens. They're understanding the severity of their error at this point. But guys, we can't forget, praise God, that Paul and Silas were willing to endure yeah. the beating anyway. Yeah. These are men of God, and they had God's end goal at mind, and they trusted in his sovereignty for every step of the way, even the most unjust steps. Come on. They knew that God would gain glory from their
7: obedience. Yeah. Let's continue and finish this out in verse 4. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with, their bro- with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left.
2: <laughs> we loved how verse 40 ended. We loved it
7: because they, were,
2: they came out of prison. The magistrates escorted them from the prison and they're like, hey, can you guys just leave the city and get out of here quietly? Is that okay? Yeah, so they came out of prison, but they did not immediately leave the city. <laughs> Their work in that city was not yet done yet. Yeah. Obviously, God made that evident to them. They still needed to reconvene with a precious believer, one who had opened her household in response to her salvation, her continued salvation, and her name is Lydia. They did. They then did what spiritually brave. And what spiritually strong men do in the midst of persecution. Guys, rather than taking the position of a victim. Like it's so easy to do. These men sought the brothers. They sat down with them. They encouraged the brothers. And they told them, hey, we must go through many trials, difficulties, persecutions. To enter into the kingdom of heaven. Think about the glorious celebration that was happening at
3: that time. This is likely their encouragement because that's how they encouraged the congregations in Galatia after they had been stoned. Note that evidently from this passage, there are other encounters and events in Philippi, which Luke does not record in the book of Acts, but which had developed a community of believers called the brothers, Mm. and they were meeting in the house of Lydia. In the sovereignty of God, The journey to reach the Macedonian men included many other fruitful and glorious encounters beyond the obvious direction of the dream. Did you see that today? Yeah. The team's work in Philippi was not limited to the Macedonian men, to Lydia, or even their households, but rather their work established the assembly of followers of the way in Philippi. Come on. You have learned today about the sovereignty of God, about how the Father leads His people, about how faithful believers who have actually believed respond with actions, particularly leader and the and the and the guard with hospitality, serving those who have preached the gospel to them and from whom they have received life. You have also seen the expansion of the kingdom, and you have seen how God works in all things for those who love Him and are called according to his purpose. Well, we
0: successfully finished the meeting with 10 minutes left on the clock. I don't think that has happened since we were doing this on Fuerte. Pastor, the meeting is yours.
5: And yet it couldn't get any fuller, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Act 16 is a very, very special chapter. You have so many different components. You get introduced to Timothy at the beginning As we close, and I'm not going to take very long, but I want us to turn to one passage of Scripture. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. So Timothy is part of this team, right? You get Paul and Silas and Timothy, and you realize that Luke is also present in the group. Listen to the writings of Paul to Timothy as he is recounting and thinking on the very same type of events that we see in Acts 16. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse
6: 12,
5: fight the good fight of the faith. Agonize the good agony. You know, we like to talk about how uh, Paul and Silas are there worshiping. You do remember that they were badly beaten, right? I mean, I'm watching Adam and Peyton come in here and uh, moan and groan from the workout that they did yesterday. Still ready to worship. (laughs) We're not just talking about being sore from a busy day. We're talking about men who are the embodiment of what it's like to fight the good fight of faith. To joyfully sing after willingly taking a beating. They could have cried out, we're Roman citizens, you're not allowed to do this. But they didn't. They laid down their rights as Roman citizens because the right and the impact of the kingdom of God was upon them, and they wanted to enter into the difficulty to show that they were, in fact, fighting the good fight. After they get released from prison, they're like, nah, man, we're good. We're going to stay right here. After they get all the way released out of prison, they're like, would you leave the city? Nah, bro, we're good. We're going to stay right here in the town. Continually entering in until the task that they have been given It's completely done. We get the very sign that you see back behind us. You see the scripture in the bottom right. It says Acts 16. Where you get one life, a jailer, that impacts his family, that then becomes a door that's open for the entire region and the nation there in Macedonia. I want to tell you that what God is doing in this house is raising up men and women who don't just say the moniker of fighting the good fight, but actually stand up and do what it means. Look what it goes on to say. Take hold of the eternal life. Somebody say, take hold. Take hold. That means to grasp it and seize it because that's the only thing and that's the only place that life is found. To which you were called and about which You made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is his testimony, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession and listen to this good confession to keep the commandment unstained. You feel that? It's one thing to be challenged to keep a commandment. You got to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. That's you looking at it and going, this may actually cost me my physical life. I joyfully step right towards it, not running away from it. This is what it is like to have daring acts of faith for our great King. Keep unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we're talking about a willingness to sacrifice at all times. To have our actions that are responding and showing our belief. That is what causes the kingdom of God to expand. Look at the very next phrase. Which he will display at the proper time. Mm
6: -hmm.
5: Wasn't that another major theme of tonight? Yeah. Yeah. The idea of the Spirit leading us? What does it require? Does it require for you to know everything ahead of time?
6: No.
5: No. As a matter of fact, you're not going to. Yeah. Right. You can just get over that right now. What we do is we hear what the Lord is saying and we're trying. We're moving forward. And in our motion, He is able to steer us and cause way more to have happen than what we'd imagined in our thinking. The spirit leads us through trying and failing and falling, but never giving up. Come on, come on. Look how it finishes. He who is the blessed and only sovereign.
2: Amen.
5: He's the one that shows his sovereignty. How many things did they have to go through to find the one man that Paul had the vision about and that the team said, yes, that is us. We stand with you. That's our vision now. You may have had the vision, but now it's mine, and we are with you, heart and soul. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is it, has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet with us. Raise your hands up to our great sovereign now. Mighty God, we come before you tonight. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign. Lord, that means you are able to lead us. You are able to show us as we continue to try. Lord, we might even try Asia and you say no. We might even try another region and you say no. Until the vision comes about. yes. But, Lord, you are sovereign, and so we can trust our all to you. Lord, we can trust that when difficulties are there, we willfully, joyfully, excited, step in to the difficulties, trusting that you are working out every detail for your glory. Lord, that we would see at your kingdom impact each and every life that you have purpose for us to reach. God, we honor you. We trust. Lord, we say that we trust in your ability to lead us. Your great ability to cause us to move forward. As we are moving forward, you will cause your will to come about. Lord, not only for one life in this place, not only for one family, but for the nations that you have assigned to us. God, we honor
6: you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.